Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Andy Patton. And I'm Ralph Enough, and we're back with Andy to do a sequel to his amazing first episode, Path to Enlightenment, that happened way back in March 2023. And we're nine months into his Kings of War career, and we figured we'd check back in and see how things were going. How are you doing tonight, Andy? We're doing pretty good, Rob. Not playing as many games as I was playing back in March, but I'm kind of wishing I was. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. You know, you started off with a real bang with a lot of games kind of peers off. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Just lack of opponents. <laughs> oh, I thought you were say lack of quality opponents because you vanquished everybody. I made Kyle move back to Ohio. What are you working on hobby wise? Twilight Kid trying to finish those up. I've got like. 8,000 points of them. You know, every army you've you've purchased to excessive extremes. <laughs> Do you need counseling? Do you need an intervention? <laughs> Probably yes to all the above. Uh, just you know, mark E on the multiple choice there. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever I start a faction, I don't list build right off the bat, and I just buy a bunch of stuff that's cool, and then, then I'll make a list, and then I realize that everything that I bought that was cool isn't in my list. <laughs> then I end up playing that list 20 times and testing it out. Eventually, I get down to what what list I start playing at events. The list goes through a bunch of iterations. I think I'm on Twilight Kid list like 40-something right now. Well, let's get into it. Let's get into the main topic. And as I alluded to earlier, uh, this is the sequel episode to Path of Enlightenment that we recorded with Andy in March of 2023, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And if you're listening to this, really recommended that you go back and listen to that. It, it was a snapshot in time, and now that we're nine months in, you're going to hear tonight what's changed over that last nine months. To start off, remind us why you picked up Kings of War. Honestly, I, I felt 40K was going a little bit south. I, I wasn't having as much fun with it. Pretty much just the same group of guys playing over and over again and they live so far away that uh, I needed something local and you suggested that I give it a shot and I fell in love with it. I played a lot of Warhammer Fantasy Battles whenever it was out and the similarities were enough to hook me and then playing it since March it just kind of I'm still in love with it. I love this game. So it's fair to say you were looking to replace 40K rather than to add to it. Correct. 40K events feel very grueling. So you'll be all excited when you get there, and then by the time you're done with the weekend, you don't want to play anymore. It's not because you played so many games. It's because you played so many bad games, if that makes sense. With Kings of War, every event I've left so far, I've been like, man, now i got to make these changes to my list, or these units didn't really work out. These are my matchups. Could I have done anything better? And then I just go right back into it. Whereas 40K, I haven't been feeling that. It's interesting because we will often hear someone make a derogatory comment like, Mantis just like GW. And I would love to get your take on that. Nine months in dealing with Manta games and playing Kings of War. Any truth to that? I don't think so. No. I mean, just look at the, the rules. They've changed once since, since I've started playing the game. 
One time. Uh, the same time span, we've had a new 40k edition start, and what, three books come out, four books come out, and multiple FAQs, just on the game aspect itself, that's a huge change. Go back to March, when you started playing Kings of War, what expectations or assumptions did you bring to the game? When I started getting into it, I liked the list diversity, but I had stuck in my brain that there would be like one or two armies or lists that would just beat everything else no matter what was across from the table, no matter who was piloting it, so I could get my five-year-old to push it across the table and win the game. But that's not the case. So there are lists that are people don't want to play against because they're kind of rude, but they don't win against everything, and the pilots of the list batter. What I just thought of was net lists. You have a very powerful list that gets placed on the internet and then a bunch of other Maybe I don't want to call them lesser generals, but the people that didn't come up with the original idea for the list successfully pilot it. Do you think netlisting is viable in Kings of War? There are aspects of netlisting that I think are viable in Kings of War. Just grabbing the list and then playing it immediately in a tournament with no reps on it, you will lose the tournament. You won't win. But if you take the list and you know jam 20 or 30 games with it before the tournament, and really study it and figure out why everything was chosen for that list, you can do well with it. Also, that is depending on the meta of whatever place you're playing in. Recently, I I had the opportunity to go to the Michigan GT. It was a great event. I loved it. Problem is, I took a list. It's like an all-around list. It was um, combined arms. I had some shooting, some melee, and I had a... I paid... I don't know how many points right off my head for a stealth bubble in the army. And I was taking behemoths to block line of sight for things. I'm used to playing against a lot of shooting down here in the Southeast and not a single time, literally zero times right. in, in Michigan did stealth come up in my favor at all or having to block line of sight from shooting. Thinking back to that event, I think there was only a couple, what I would consider gun lines, you know, I know Jason Bird that I played, he definitely had a lot of shooting. I think shooting is more prevalent where we are here in the Southeast than, than in the Midwest. Oh, yeah. You mentioned Michigan GT. What other events did you go to over the last nine months? Well, my first event that I ever went to was the Memphis GT that you run. So, fantastic event. Thank you for running it. Please run it again. I mean, maybe you'll finally beat Chase Thompson. Maybe, man. You didn't. No, I that definitely didn't. It was a bloody, <laughs> bloody game. So you started with Kings of Memphis? Yeah, I went to Kings of Memphis. And then my next event after that, I went to the U.S. Masters and played in Best of the Rest. And uh, at Kings of Memphis, I did fairly well. I, I think I was like fifth or sixth overall for my first event. I lost to Chase and I lost to Kyle Poole. And both of those were... Games that I had locked in and punted them. <laughs> Definitely learn, learning from my mistakes there. Best of the Rest was another great event. I think there was like 40 of us, maybe more than 40. I played Felix Caster there for the first time at Best of the Rest against his halflings. That was fun. I met a whole bunch of great people like uh, Drew Richardson, talked on your podcast a million times, ate Volcano Tacos way too many times. <laughs> It was a great event. After that event, what was my next one? TNT? Yeah, that's right. TNT was was the one after Best of the Rest, and then I went to Michigan. Then Blue City Brawl, 
I did the mm-hmm. team event there with uh, Jeff Bodine, and we came in second overall, almost first. So close. You got to paint better. Yeah, that darn Nathan Clevenger, man. He's busting my balls. <laughs> and speaking of Nathan. <laughs> the next one I went to was the Forge. And uh, as the ringer, he still beat me. Not in game, but ended uh, fourth overall in that one. Playing for the win against Mr. Manock, but I was not quite able to get there. That was a, a few mistakes on my end, I think, cost me that game. Yeah, that was a Twilight can off at the top table in round five. Yeah. How many games would you estimate you played over the last nine months? Oh, wow. Um, I know I had over 100 in before Kings of Memphis. So like in the first three months, you had 100 games in. Yeah, it was over that for sure. And I think since then, I may have probably done, not including events, another 60 or 80 games since June. And part of that is obviously Kyle Poole moving back to Ohio because you used to get like three or four games a week with him. Yeah, he would come in before the shop opened and I'd play some games with him. We miss him. And we'll, we'll probably see him again real soon, I'm sure, at, at an event coming up uh, over the next year or so. So how would you describe your experience in Kings War over the last nine months? Oh, it's been fantastic. 100% I'm in love with the game. Again, it's a very simple rule set. There's almost nothing to argue in the rules. Uh, maybe some weird case things every now and again, but it's pretty cut and dry. And then it's like the only thing you're really arguing is angles in the game, if there's any argument at that at all. I know you and I have had a, a few close games recently at the Forge. We had a pretty good one. Oh yeah, that was that was a good game. I was in it. I was in it until I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, Snake Eyes won me the game for sure. How would you say your play has evolved over the last nine months? That's a very good question. I think I'm a lot. I know I'm a lot more careful of a player now than I was in you know, April or May. I don't think I'm as crisp right now. And that's just because I'm not getting as many games in remembering to pre-measure my opponent's stuff. I failed to do that against Adam Ballard and like the third round of the, the match against him at uh, Michigan GT lost my beard because of it. He was able to just get every charge he wanted. And since then I haven't forgotten it once. So <laughs> one good butt kicking you'll learn quite a bit and my butt's been kicked up and down the street. So what's the best advice someone gave you about gaming in Kings of war? The best advice someone has given me about gaming. Don't worry about the games. If you want to stress out about losing a game, then you're not going to gain anything from it. If you're in round three of an event and you lose, okay. When you come back the next day or into the next round, don't have that loss on your mind. Just focus on your next game like it's the first game of the event. Probably some of the best advice I've ever gotten. And who delivered that sage advice? Kyle Poole. Here's a tough question. Who's the best player in the U.S.? I don't know. I don't play enough players, I don't think. I know Adam and Travis are pretty good. I've never played Travis. I played Adam one time, and I knew the mistake that I did as soon as it happened, but... I don't know. It's funny. You asked me that, and there's there's a bunch of traits that extremely good players have that I've noticed playing them that good players don't have. I don't know how to explain it, but it feels like they're in control of the game the entire time you play them, 
whether or not they are or not. I don't really know how to explain that. Is it the ability to look ahead and plan many, many turns? That's part part of it, I think. It's not that they know how the game's going to evolve from the start of the game. It's that they there's no point in the game where they're in their head, they're like, I've lost the game. I wonder if it's that they don't script the game out. It's not predetermined what they're going to do, right? They're, they're more flexible and able to adapt to what happens. Yeah, they could be it. I think that's the case with Adam. I don't think he scripts his games out. When I played against him, we spent the first two turns were five or ten minutes apiece for each of us. And then I made my mistake on the third turn. And then he did his turn. And it was like 30 minutes long. And about 25 of it was him just standing there scratching his head, figuring out how do I capitalize on this the best. And I think that's what his process was. And then he was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And it's either going to work or not, but I'm pretty sure it's going to work. And then it worked. Just being able to step back. This is advice that I got um, through experience at 40K tournaments was if you feel like you're losing the game at any point, it doesn't matter if you are losing or not. You can feel like you're losing while you're winning. When your turn starts, step back from the table. Just literally take a step back and go, what do I need to do to win this game? Or what do I need to do to not lose this game? And then work it out and then do it. Like, don't let any of the prior game actions bother you, like a snake eyes that or a double boxcars routing uh, a unit that shouldn't have been destroyed or something. There's a way to not lose the game. Almost every time, unless you wait way too long. <laughs> but if you do that, you can really pull some stuff out of your butt sometimes. Did anything work differently than you thought going into the game from like a rules perspective? From when I initially started, yes. So things like scout and casting spells. Um, for those of you that went back and listened to uh, my first interview with Rob, I gave him a pretty subpar uh, Empire Dust list that I was 100% certain was busted. I was incorrect. <laughs> Let's go through it, and it'll be interesting to hear your commentary. So this was a, a 2010-point list. Obviously, that was the points level for Kings of Memphis. And this was the very first list that you created and the very first list that we played. I think I played Orcs against it. And you had Skeleton Spearman Infantry, two hordes. Both had Casket of the Damned. And one had the Scrying Gem and one had the Dragon Shard Shield. Three troops of Skeleton Warriors, all with the Casket of the Damned. Then you had two regiments of Skeleton Warriors, both with the Casket of the Damned. Seeing a a pattern here. Uh, Then you had a Cursed High Priest uh, mounted on a horse with Heal and Drain Life, which is pretty good. And then you had an Ammonite Pharaoh on Royal Chariot with the Raz the Undying Upgrade. Knowledgeable, Surge, Alchemist Curse, Host Shadow Beach. 340 points, I think. Very expensive. And then the list is closed out because obviously you had the Bone Shakers formation, right? So you had two regiments of chariots plus was it, it's a Legion of Chariots. Yeah, and a uh, Revenant Champion on horse. Well, what do you think of that list? Personally, I hate chariots in cavalry at least for eod prior to the clash of kings book uh they were just awful anything with thunder charge to anything with thunder charge and no fly or pathfinder anything like that and hitting on fours normally it's 
not a recipe for for doing anyone any harm. Again, that's my my opinion. So other people can disagree with me. The spells you can't even cast Toe Shadow Beast on Rosie and dying because he is you know he's not an individual. So there was that I had wrong. Um, and the Revenant champion in that list, I remember, had the scout upgrade. My idea with him was to go beat stuff up in the back, and then I realized he's not that great in hand-to-hand combat, um, For at least for that points. That was very interesting. The three troops and two regiments of warriors, uh, they got cut from the list pretty quick. The chariots got cut from the list pretty quick. Uh, but you can see the the initial backbone of the priest, the Revenant champion, Rosian dying, and the two Spearman hordes that kind of stayed as a theme throughout my list as it developed um, into Kings of Memphis. Curious to hear, you know, how your list has evolved because you've been playing, you know, up until uh, the release of the Twilight Kin, you pretty much played them exclusively uh, locally in our Slogar League and in all the events. So here was my list for Kings of Memphis. It was the two skeleton spearmen hordes with hammer measured force and dragon charge shield. I had Casca of the Damned on the dragon charge shield unit. And then I had two Deadeye crossbow regiments, one with vicious, one with piercing arrow. Then I had a scavenger swarm with the scrying gem. Then I had the monolith. Then I had an ammonite pharaoh with wings of the honey maze. Host Shadow Beast 4, Knowledge Roll Surge, Cursed High Priest with Horse, Boots of Levitation, Alchemist Curse, and Surge. Then I had Rosian Dying with Veil of Shadows and Surge. And then two Reanimated Behemoths. So I didn't have a Soul Snare, didn't have Scavengers like I have now. Part of that, I think, was the points reduction. But the same core of the, like, Roz and the two skeleton hordes and then the pharaoh, I meant the uh, the priest, was is there. And then I just kind of put in a few things that I was definitely missing on, like the monolith. It, dude, that thing is amazing. And now it's better. Because <laughs> it's unit strength too. Nothing in the list has Thunder Charge other than Roz. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Thunder's Charge. Not playing against it or playing with it. I think it's too easy to mitigate. And that was your kind of your first real tournament list. What did you end up taking to best of the rest? Uh, it was almost the exact same thing, except I added a soul snare, a second unit of scavengers and a desert swarm to protect my soul snare. And it fared pretty well, I assume. Yep. I went uh, four wins, no losses and a draw. And did you take the same thing to Michigan GT or did you mix it up? Michigan GT was the exact same list that I took to best of the rest. You were three and two? Yeah, I was three and two. After getting beat by Adam, is that when you decided to put away the Empire Dust? No, I had actually made that decision prior to the Michigan GT. I was thinking either Forces of the Abyss or uh, Rift Forge Orcs. I was really looking heavily at the two of those. After they posted their first announcement of Twilight Kid, and I was like, why not? Let me just look at these and uh, i've i kind of like them they're very toolboxy which is something i really like so you got a little bit of every option in in the army it's just how you utilize it kind of where you lean to and that's that's something i really enjoy 
think you'll revisit Empire of Dust again in the future? I have already been playing with lists again. So while I'm not playing the army right now, I I didn't sell it or throw it away or anything. It's it's still here. The only thing you got rid of was your beard. <laughs> yes, that's all I got rid of. I will say, Mantic, please update your mummies. I want mummies, but I don't like peeling them off of little discs. Yeah, the integrating basing on some of the undead and the original orcs and the dwarves. And the elves, they're they're if you're trying to go with a traditional multi base, they're harder to use because you gotta you really should cut those discs off. I'm really liking the direction EOD are going. I think they were already one of the better armies prior to Clash of Kings, and I believe Clash of Kings made them even better. I think they're one of the top armies personally currently. There's a lot of options with them right now, but as far as just here's a bunch of meat, deal with it, or I win the game. It's very capable right now. Now that you've went through your first, I'm going to call it season, you know, you've received your first Clash of Kings supplement. You know, what do you think about the Clash of Kings supplement and, and how the army and rules updates are delivered? I like it a lot, actually. There's a lot of speculation coming up to the actual release of it. I know we got a sneak preview at the Michigan GT and then... When it finally released, been making lists like nonstop. All right, I want to try this one out, or I'll send it to somebody and they'll try it out, give me feedback on it, and or they'll just straight up say, "Hey, that list sucks. Do something else." <laughs> and I'm like, "All right, all right." Go back to the drawing board, and finally, I get something hammered out. If you look to 2023, you know we had a refresh of the of the Night Stalker and Northern Alliance Army. We had a complete overhaul of the Twilight King Army, and then and now we obviously have a Clash of Kings book. So you could argue there was four updates, even though Northern Alliance and Night Stalkers happened at the same time. Compare that to the way other games happen, where like you you were talking earlier about 40K, where you know 10th edition has dropped, and we've already had three or four books out in the span of a few months. Which rate of change do you prefer? I like the slower rate of change for several reasons. The main one being it never gets figured out. Somebody will, quote, figure out the the best list or best army list or army with the current rule set. They'll play an event with it. They'll do well. And then that list will not do well at any future event after that. Other than the normal, hey, this is a good player using a good list. So they go from it being a, a winning list to it being like an X1 or X2 list at every event they go to. And that's because people start to take things to beat that list. And that meta just keeps shifting. There'll be another black sheep at the next event. And then they're like, oh my gosh, we need to figure out how to take care of this. And then, you know, the next event, somebody will take that and they won't win because uh, somebody came prepared for it. Meta advancement through the players and not through the rules changing. It's innovative and I, I like innovation. So it's fair to say you feel like the slower change delivery isn't negatively impacting. I mean, the game is still evolving and metas are still being updated. Yes. What are your thoughts on Mantic Companion, Vault, and all of the digital stuff that Mantic is doing? You jumped into the game nine months ago, kind of right at the infancy when Mantic was really getting into this stuff. What are your thoughts now, nine months, having used some of these products? I think my perspective is a little skewed on that. I really like the Mantic Companion app. I have not played kings of war or any mantic game without the companion app existing i really like it i don't think i could play the game without it to be honest with some form of list builder i got too many options running around in my head and not being able to see it as fast as i think about it 
would put a hindrance in the game for me. Thinking to the other companies' products that you've used for list building, is there anything that Mantic should be could be doing to improve their companion? I still think there should be a standalone app where you can access it without being on the internet. But I understand their concerns with that. It's hard to manage. As far as it goes right now, I think it's very successful. What you're talking about is offline connectivity, right? That's the one thing it, that it doesn't have. It does everything else. It just, yep. you have to have an online, you have to have an internet connection to use it. What about the vault? Have you, have you dabbled with the vault at all? I love the vault. There are not a lot of U.S. facing companies that have a commercial license. Yeah, I don't think there's any U.S. companies that have a commercial license for the Pantic Vault. Two in the U.K. that I know of, but I don't know any of them that are U.S. Definitely something that needs to be rectified. Going back to the gaming side of things, we, we had a great discussion before about all these different topics like go first or second. And I kind of want to hit back on some of those and see if anything has changed. And, you know, let's start with your perspective on random game length. I still really enjoy it. I think every tournament I've ever been to, I have heard, I had it on six, lost it on seven, or lost the game on six. If we had gone to turn seven, I would have had it. And what does that signify to you? Signifies that people are trading resources in the hopes that the game ends on turn six or the game ends on turn seven. Taking a gambit like that is an option in the game. It is a choice. It may not have been your choice. It could be your opponent's choice. Or it could be a dice roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, that's the way Kings of War works. But compare that back to games that don't have that. Make the distinction for us. If the ending is coming and you know exactly when that ending is going to be, it's a lot easier to shape the game in such a way that you know exactly where you're going to be at the end of every game. But if the ending of the game changes from one game to the next then you can't plan out exactly where your ending is going to be. If you try, it's it's just more difficult. Over the last nine months, I'm assuming you've got at least one instance where you got burned by the seven turn or not getting a seven turn. My first tournament, I had Kyle Poole beat at Kings of Memphis. If we ended on six, I beat him. I think I had every point, actually. And then uh, turn seven happened. I countercharged a bunch of stuff instead of backing up on uh, obstacles, making him charge me hindered if he wanted it. Ended up losing like three to two at the end of that game. It's fair to say you're a big fan of the random turn length. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's another dynamic. It adds more change to the game and change is good. Let's talk about chess clocks. I know that lots of games use them. What was your opinion of a chess clock going into playing Kings of War? And now nine months later, has your opinion changed? I still love chess clocks. Chess clocks, for some people, don't mean the same thing as they mean for me. Some people are like, oh, great, now i got to play on a chess clock. And they just don't like having to have another thing to manage. It's not even that they're going to play slowly or, or anything. Uh, I have a habit of playing a little slow if I'm not on a clock. So I try and clock myself every game just to make sure that I'm not taking too long. But ensuring everyone gets an even number of turns or amount of playtime... It's literally the only way you could do it. Back in March, we had a conversation about whether you want to go first or second, and you kind of hinted at second's the right answer for you. Has that changed? It has. I think it's 100% depends on matchup and what your army's plan is going into the game. Going second with the slower Empire Dust Army was good because my opponent is closer to me. I can make sure that on the first turn, my soul snare can drain life at 18 inches. If I went first, I wouldn't be able to get that. Whereas Twilight Ken, they have 
you got a lot of auras and abilities and spells you got to get off and there's like line interactions you got to do to make sure that you're as safe as possible making sure everybody's perfectly in each one's aura there's a lot more to manage and if you don't go first they aren't on and set up and ready to go but then you give the disadvantage of um not being second in objective play i mean strategically it is better to go second on an objective mission in most cases just because you have the last move of the game if you have an army that can't go second ever you're going to have problems in objective play so and i've seen it a couple times with my twilight kin already um that's why i've been changing it up a little bit what'd you think about the scenarios for kings of war going in and nine months later you know we've actually got still have the original 12 and now we actually have two additional ones so talk to me about scenario play over the last nine months i think all the scenarios are still pretty good out of all the tournaments that i've been to i've played every scenario at least once there is not a scenario where somebody goes hmm i don't think this is good for tournament play and people will say oh well, what about the you know just killing your opponent but even then people are already doing attrition points i like the missions they're all different enough that the strategy for each one, your decision-making has to be different in every single one of them. Unless your name is like Jeff O'Neill and you just table your opponent every game from shooting. <laughs> other than that, yeah, they definitely change up the strategy. Are there any other type of scenarios being played in other games that maybe we could bring into Kings of War? I haven't really thought about it that much. I was actually thinking the opposite taking Kings of War missions and bringing them into other games. I really like the missions in the game. It's not my favorite thing about the game, but the games are not straightforward. It's not, hey, uh, do this, you get a point on your turn, and then your opponent goes and he gets a point, and now it's a tie game again. You really have to play around the strategy of that mission and then not die in the process. So, And the not dying part, is heavily influenced by the mission. Like it they go hand in hand and I don't know any other game system where that where it's like that. What's your favorite scenario? That's a loaded question. Uh for my Empire Dust Army it was Dominate. I don't think I lost a game of Dominate with my Empire Dust. Uh with Twilight Kin, I haven't played enough games yet. But so far I'm really enjoying most of the loot missions. What's your least favorite scenario? Probably Raze. Let's talk about scoring systems. Obviously, you came into Kings of War. How have you found the scoring systems that are... First of all, what scoring systems have you played at events? Uh, And then just what's your opinion on our scoring systems? I honestly couldn't really tell you the names of the scoring systems. We got the one you used for Kings of Memphis. I I think that was like a modified blackjack or something. The counter-charge scoring system, and it's just scenario points and bonus objectives. And that's it. There's no killer attrition points. So it's a little different than uh, than the other ones like Blackjack. I like that system. Oh, this way, I haven't played a system that I did not like. Have you played in an event that used Blackjack or Northern Kings? I'm not sure exactly, to be honest. Maybe that's the answer, right? The fact that it didn't leave a lasting impression one way or the other, which meant it's probably fine. Let's talk about soft scores, though, because that's not as common maybe in some of the games you've pay- played in the past. How have you found soft scores? I like it. You can have players win overall at an event that aren't as strong generally in the actual play of the game. And I think that brings more people to events 
and I, I like that. So people are there to have fun and win, not just on being the best general, but being the best hobbyist in the game in general. Best general, best painted, best sports. You can go through and just win best general at every event, but if people hate you, then they're going to stop letting you come to events eventually. <laughs> Can we learn anything from scoring system used in other games? Possibly. I would like to see some form of progressive scoring. Scenario play, you mean, where like you score points the first turn, second turn, and it's cumulative? So I will say this. My favorite thing so far about King scoring systems, I don't have to win every round to win the event. I could have a really close game and have a draw or have a very close loss and still have a decent shot of winning the, the tournament if I'm still playing well. Maybe this will be a good time for you to explain 40K events, because I know in 40K, winning is everything. Share with us a little knowledge on that. An undefeated player could not win an event at a um, Kings of War event if he you know, won just the minimum or was way below in attrition every game but still was winning the games. He may not win the event even though he went undefeated. Some say that's a negative, some say that's positive. 40k events, if you win and there's only one person that's undefeated at the end, your match score for scenario does not matter at all. So you get like a thousand points for winning each round. And then the only difference is if you and somebody else both went 3-0 at an event, then you have 3,000 points plus whatever your scenario points were. And then in that case, scenario points would be the determination of who the winner was scenario points for a game is like 100 right yes up to 100 right so if you played three games you would potentially have 3300 points available correct and so if one person lost they're at 2000 some change at that point correct right okay what do you think about that you know the fact that we could have someone that went you know four and one that had four huge wins and maybe a small loss jump ahead of someone that had maybe five moderate wins what are your thoughts on that my thoughts on that are that person was not playing to get as many points as they could. Every event I've been to, there's been bonus objectives or attrition or something like that that modifies your points at the end of the game, whether you won, lost, or draw. And if you're not playing for those points as well, you're leaving food on the table. Makes perfect sense. Well, let's dive into the hobby. You know, you shared with us back in March, you were not a hobby guy. No. I had never put together and painted an army prior to March. You've now worked on a few armies. You've built a lot of models, display boards. Are you a hobby guy now? I'm working on it. It's still a work in progress. I, I'm not a. I'm not Rob Fanuff or anything. But <laughs> you got jokes. You got jokes. You got jokes. <laughs> what are your thoughts on multi basing? It's necessary. I started off individually basing. I played one game with the entire army individually based on trays, and I will never do that again. It's one of those things where you just sort of have to let people do it and then see that. You're like, <laughs> okay, I've been down that road before. Did it look cool? 100%. It looked very intimidating. The problem was, all right, now I'm on a hill, and then I want to flank this guy, and now I'm barely touching the hill with the corner of my base, and all my models fall off the base. <laughs> Hit it off the move a tray, exactly. <laughs> You've obviously built and painted an Empire Dust Army. Mm -hmm. What else have you done in that span from March to now? So I've got painted. I've got about 4,500 points of Empire Dust painted. And I've got about 4,000 points of Twilight Kid painted. Unpainted, I've got 
Uh, that's all put together. I've got roughly 10,000 points of EOD, roughly 10,000 points of Twilight Ken, and about 3,000 points of Halflings. And have you been enjoying building and painting new armies? Yes. I like the sense of accomplishment when I'm done, actually. Not with the painting, but the actual putting it together on the base to use on the table. So I really like that. The problem is it's a lot easier to do the bases in painting when they're not on the base. So I can only do that like when I'm done. <laughs> what tools and equipment did you find most useful? I don't know. I got an airbrush recently. Definitely made it easier. Uh, for those that don't know, I got my Twilight Kid models in eight days before a tournament. And with the help of Jeff Bodine, got them all put together, painted for the forge like that week <laughs> using the new airbrush I got. Shading is a lot easier done. Base coating, shading, it made it go by a lot faster. It didn't feel as tedious. What hobby skills have you learned and developed over the last nine months? It's not as hard as I was making it out to be initially. It's just you've got to put time into it. So if you want to be a really good painter, you can be a really good painter as long as you practice at being a really good painter. Anything I painted prior to March, I would say that if I gave my five-year-old finger paints and he painted a model with them, it would look on par with what I was doing before then, before March. <laughs> now, it actually kind of looks like I'm <laughs> trying to put paint in specific places on the model. <laughs> What's the best hobby advice you got over the last nine months? Just do it. Like a good Nike commercial. <laughs> Just yeah. do it. Army Twilight Kin, you also have halflings that are built, not painted. What's next in your hobby journey? I have no clue. <laughs> it's I've been playing with orcs, I've been playing with uh Rift Forge, I've been playing with uh Forces of the Abyss. You know, we cut some bases. I've got everything set up, ready to go with like Sharpies and it's all whiteboard stuff cut down i could proxy anything i want to that i could think of to proxy and have bases for it and i've been playing a lot around with an orc list i've been talking with eric turbridge about it i think he's going to try something close to it at, at an event here in the near future and then i don't know man i just like list building and trying weird stuff what do you hope for the next nine months i'm hoping that the next time we have this interview um you're congratulating me for winning Masters. <laughs> now you're talking crazy, bro. Come on. <laughs> you're trying to say is you want to set the bar very high. If I don't and I miss it, but I get pretty close, then I still got close. You are trying to make the Masters team. How has that been going so far? Currently, I'm on the Masters team. It has not been 100% decided, but I'm in the top eight for my region. I think tied for sixth and seventh spot on the region. It's hard. We get a lot of competition here in the Southeast. There's a lot of events that are like within an hour from me that aren't in my region too. So uh, there is that. My out of region score is my highest point score right now. The best of the rest? Yeah. What did we miss? What did we not chat about? I think we covered pretty much everything from the last one. How has our games evolved, Rob? I think when we started, I was playing Ogres, which which are pretty good. And so we were a little bit more competitive. Your EOD list, I, I, I don't have as much trouble with. 
but your uh, your your Twilight Kin list is, is really hard for the Salamanders to deal with. From that end, knowing that I'm when I'm when I am playing you, it's like well, it's a catch twenty two. On one hand, I want to have a list that can take all comers and that can go to a tournament. And so, what if I do that? I kind of know that I'm running into a bad matchup with Twilight Kin uh, and and a few other lists that that can that can uh, negate a few hammers. What armies have you not played? Because I'm sure you, there's armies you haven't played before. I don't think I've played Forces of the Abyss yet. Are you excited about the refresh coming up next year? I am. So I will probably be getting into into them at least a little bit. They're, aesthetically, they're one of my favorites um, as far as like the lore and all that, not like the actual models, which I'm sure their new models, when they redo them, are going to be fantastic. Is there any armies out of the 29 that we have that holds currently holds no interest to you? Basileans. And why is that? I don't know. I just, I don't like the idea of super elite age armies or it's not my play style. I don't like having a super fast elite army that just goes in and tries to hammer you down and like delete things and just turn and face you. I, I like inevitability and you could probably see that in my list building too. Has Kings of War changed your play style at all? I don't think so. You sort of just leaned into what you were already doing. 40k as known for making lists that people didn't notice or or they're like really fringe and then making them better uh and then doing well with them um so like not taking the meta but taking stuff that was good against the meta but wasn't terrible against everything else and i've been trying to do something similar to that with my kings of war lists um, I'm not playing what I would consider the meta Twilight Ken army now. Definitely was not playing the quote meta EOD list uh, when I was playing it. That being said, I did get smashed by like the meta list for EOD at Michigan, so maybe it's not the best decision. Also being piloted by one of the best players in the United States, that doesn't hurt either. No, the loss was mine to earn, and I earned it. So, What events are you planning to hit next year? Next year, that's a good question. I know I'm trying to hit the Blue City Brawl again. Hoping to hit Axe Grinder if we can get a date figured out. Um, Siege of Augusta is coming up. I really want to hit that. It's about a month away now, right? And um, I'm trying to see if I can get out there for that. Definitely going to Masters. Whether or not I qualify, I'll be going. I'm sure somebody will take me. <laughs> You've been to high-level events for other game systems. How did the U.S. Masters last year compare? It was the most well-put-together event I think I've been to for a while, other than the scoring system not working correctly. But that that wasn't anything from the... Yeah, the, the software had an issue, right? Yeah. But as far as the event itself, everyone knew what they were doing knew what was expected of them and then overperformed in that, in my opinion. So as far as the terrain and the tables and even like the, the judging, like judge calls and all that, it was all like way above board. I didn't hear anyone complaining about anything like that. Um, you had some people complaining about terrain being too big and some complaining about being too small, but you're never going to please everybody. We all have different metas and terrain and all that. Speaking of which, uh, I think you're coming up with a solution for that, right? Yeah, we've uh, created a set of 10 pieces of terrain templates. Uh, we've been trying it out. 
Uh, and so if you're interested in helping us get some feedback on that, let me know and I'll send you the, uh, the vector file so you can have somebody laser cut it for you. Or if you just want to take it and print it out on paper, right? You could do that too. Um, they're a little bit bigger than traditional pieces of terrain. And I think they're uniquely shaped and they're not consistent. What I mean by that is, you know, we have like an obstacle, one is six inches long and one's nine inches long. Hills, two different sizes. Uh, we're just trying to mix it up a l- little bit so that it's not so symmetric. The first step was to agree we're going to have 10 pieces of train. The second step is to agree how big they need to be. And then the third piece is to make some maps with those pieces of terrain. So we're we're on step two, right? We're, we're uh, trying it out. So if you're interested, reach out to me on Facebook. I'll be happy to send you the file. Andy, give us your sales pitch for Kings of War. As far as tabletop games go, it is not Warhammer pricey. It, it's something you could play on a budget. The rule system, very easy to learn, hard to master. So it's it's very great on that aspect. And aesthetically, it's pleasing to watch a full game. If you go to tournaments like Michigan GT, the armies look fantastic. The Forge, most of the armies look fantastic. Kings of Memphis, they looked fantastic. Like, if you go to a tournament, the... The amount of effort people put into this is fantastic, and if you just want to hang out and have a good time, you can do that. If you want to be super competitive, you can do that too. If you want to spend a bunch of money on a bunch of models, you can do that too. If you don't want to spend a bunch of money on a bunch of models, well, you can practice and play with the bases. Like the, the game is very fun, and I don't think there is really a group of people that I've met so far that have played the game and said, you know what? I don't really like this game. I haven't met a single one yet. Well, that's good words to take us out. That's going to do us tonight, everybody. Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.